All right, go ahead and find your seat. This is awesome. Lots of encouragement. I love that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. Good morning. So I loved what Grant said in Scripture, God, a prayer over Psalm 1. I love that Scripture. How does, we're we're going to meditate on God's Word today. How's that sound? Does that sound good? Cool. Let's do it. Um, so first, I want to ask you guys a question. What is rest? What is rest? A lot of people may know that answer, and a lot of people may not know that answer after a semester that just happened. Sometimes we view rest in means of physical rest, you know, sometimes like sleep, taking a nap, even hibernation for some folks in this room, or even in means of emotional rest, you know, winding down, maybe we want to watch a movie or play a video game or even socialize for you extroverted folks. But what about spiritual rest? You know, the Bible speaks of spiritual rest with high importance. God, the creator of everything, he rested on the seventh day himself from his creation, from all of his works to admire his creation, and he too calls us to rest like he did. Check it out in Hebrews 4, 10 through 11. It speaks on this. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 through 31, or 30, this is a popular, popular scripture. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even in the book of Isaiah, without even mentioning the word rest in this scripture, Isaiah implies spiritual rest in the Lord. Let's look at Isaiah 40, 28-31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Okay, so as I read these scriptures about rest, there's a trend. I think the trend is trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord stands out. So as God rested on the seventh day, the nation of Israel in Exodus 16, they had to trust that the Sabbath rest that God had prepared for them was good and necessary. You know, as Jesus calls us, he calls us the, the weary and burdened. He calls us to him for eternal rest, a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. We had to and have to, to this day, trust him that he is true to his word. And that rest is guaranteed for now and for later in eternity. You know, as, as Isaiah prophesies about the Lord giving strength to the faint and powerless, he also calls us to trust in the Lord, the God of rest, that God will give us strength, power, and rest at all times that we would be able to soar, run, and walk with endurance forever. So, Scripture talks about rest a lot. Here's just three examples. But I believe that spiritual rest is the rest of faith. I believe that spiritual rest is the rest of faith and the rest of trusting in the Lord, the ability to remain connected to the Lord as we live and work with him. And so today, we're going to be looking into why and how we can rest trustfully in the Lord our God. So let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you so much for who you are. Yeah, all the, all the blessings you give us, we, we give you praises for. But God, I, I just want to thank you that we have you. Like, you are why we're grateful and why we're full of thanksgiving. God, I'm thankful that we get to know you, that that's such a privilege, that knowing you is eternal life. God, thank you that you want to know us. And so, God, I invite you into this space. Holy Spirit, come and search our hearts today. You know, I pray that as we're on winter break, that we would truly learn how to spiritually, trustfully rest in you, God. 
You are worthy of all praise. I pray that this sermon would glorify you. Every single word that proceeds from my mouth, I pray that it would glorify you. Every ear that's listening to the words of your word, I pray that it would glorify you. Jesus, help us to receive. Yeah. Jesus, come into the space. We love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. So we're going to be diving into a popular psalm this morning, Psalm 23. Some of you may have even memorized this psalm yourself, but this is written by King David. We're going to go slowly breaking this this psalm verse by verse. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is the word of the Lord. So through Psalm 23, we're going to be looking through four reasons for why we can rest trustfully in the Lord. So let's look at verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Okay. We can rest trustfully in the Lord because he's our shepherd. We can rest trustfully in the Lord because he's our shepherd. You know, David, before becoming a king, was a shepherd himself. And so he knows what the role of a shepherd looks like. And in this introduction, David calls God his shepherd, and David was like one of his sheep. And so by declaring the Lord a shepherd, David highlights the qualities of a shepherd found in the Lord. So first, being a shepherd took humility. Being a shepherd took humility. It's remarkable that the Lord, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, would call himself a shepherd. You know, in Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. If a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son, you know, like David, who got this unpleasant assignment. Jehovah, our God, has chosen to be our shepherd, David says. The great God of the universe has stooped down to take just such care of you and me. And so that's awesome. Our God is humble. We also see that the shepherd lives with his flock. You know, the Lord, as our shepherd, lovingly takes care of us, his flock of sheep. And being compared to the liking of a sheep isn't the highest ranking of animals either. You know, sheep are pretty dumb. They do the same stupid things over and over and over and over again. Sounds like us sometimes. You know, this is why we need a shepherd who lives with his flock. We need the Lord, and we need a good shepherd we can trust who will take care of us and give us rest. You know, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, my, my shepherd. The Lord was a real, personal shepherd for David. You know, a sheep is an object of property, not a wild animal. Its owner sets great store by it, and frequently it is bought with a great price. It is well to know, as certainly as David did, that we belong to the Lord. You know, there's a noble tone of confidence about this sentence, the Lord is my shepherd. There's no if, there's no but, or even a I hope so, but he says the Lord is my shepherd. He's speaking in terms of absolutes. The Lord is his personal, relational shepherd. You know, the idea behind God's role as a shepherd is of loving care and concern. David found comfort and security in the thought that God cared for him like a shepherd cares for his sheep. And he knew how a shepherd cares for his sheep. David also felt that he needed a shepherd. You know, the heart of this psalm doesn't connect well with the self-sufficient, people who don't think they need a shepherd. But those who actually sense their need, Jesus called them the poor in spirit, they find great comfort in the idea that God can be their own personal, relational shepherd. 
You know, before we can even declare that the Lord is my shepherd, my personal shepherd, we must first feel ourselves to be sheep by nature. We must relate to sheep in foolishness, dependency, and the warped nature of its will. And we also see in this passage, in this, in this one scripture, that the Lord is provider as a shepherd provides for his flock. David unashamedly declares the Lord as a shepherd and ends with, I have what I need. This is not only a declaration, but this is also a decision. You know, David is saying, all my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. And he's also saying, I decide to not desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives. Let me repeat that. All my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd, and I decide to not desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives. That's what David means when he says, I shall not want. I have what I need. The Lord is enough for him. You know, I think what David is saying here speaks for itself. So I hope as as you ponder on David's words in this first verse of the Lord being the absolute best part of his life, that his life is complete and satisfied in the Lord, and that the Lord is enough and sufficient for David, that you would be considering, considering this reality for yourself. Like this is a reality that we can actually have following Jesus. So we're going to keep looking into the Lord as our provider as we continue through Psalm 23. So let's look into verse 2. It says this, He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Awesome. We can rest trustfully in the Lord because he is our provider. God is our provider. So in this verse, David speaks to God's provision by using imagery of rest. And so first, God as provider causes him to lie down in green pastures. David is not the one who causes himself to rest here. It is the causation of the Lord. It is the leading of the shepherd to do so. And so the Lord as a shepherd knew how to make David rest when he needed it, just as a literal shepherd would care for his sheep. And so the implication here is that a sheep doesn't always know what it needs and what is best for itself, and so helps, needs help from the shepherd itself. So the shepherd also knew the good places to make his sheep rest. He knew that the green pastures were good for him. He faithfully guides the sheep to green pastures. Here's a quote by this guy named Philip Keller. I've I've never met Philip Keller, but I trust what he says. I agree with everything he says. He writes that sheep do not lie down easily and will not unless four conditions are met. Four conditions. So because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. Finally, if sheep are anxious about food or they're hungry, they will not lie down. I didn't know that about sheep, but apparently there's four things that cause them not to lie down. So rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. The four F's. Fear, friction, flies, and famine. The shepherd has dealt with all those things that the sheep could lie down in green pastures, which is so cool. So I want to ask you, I want to invite you to consider that for yourself as a sheep. What fear, what friction, what flies, and what famine do you need to give to the Lord your shepherd today that you may rest trustfully in the Lord? What fear, friction, flies, and famine do you need to surrender to him today so that you may rest trustfully in the Lord? You know, continuing on this idea of green pastures, The word for green and green pastures is the same word used to describe the plants and vegetation that God created in the Garden of Eden. So like Adam and Eve found rest in the Garden of Abundance, it was the Garden of Abundance, so does David find rest in a pasture of abundance with the Lord being a shepherd. He has all he needs. And when he could finally lie down with no fear, no friction, no flies, and no famine, all he has to do is look up to the heavens and seek the face of God. That's what I picture. I picture a sheep laying down in green pastures on its back, looking at anything, anything in the sky and just seeing the face of the Lord. 
We should do that sometime. So second, God as provider leads him beside quiet waters. You know, the specific phrase, me beside quiet, in Hebrew is the phrase, menuqua. I may have said that wrong. Menuqua. And it means resting place. It actually means resting place, which is really cool. And so the shepherd's guiding hand leads David to settle into a resting place near a quiet stream. The emphasis on quiet waters is also significant here. So from the beginning of creation, God has shown his desire to bring rest out of chaos. Wow, that is really cool. That's pretty cool. I just had to emphasize that. So God has shown his desire to bring rest out of chaos. You know, there's many examples of him doing that in the Old Testament. Here are some examples specifically with water. We see that the chaotic waters before creation were brought into order. We see during the flood, the Red Sea exodus. That was brought into order. We see the crossing of the Jordan River. These were all settled by God's hand. And so God desires to bring his own, us, to a place of stillness and rest where we can hear only his voice. And his choice of water here in Psalm 23 reflects this. And so in both the lush pasture and the quiet waters, we receive a picture of peace. This is a picture of peace. This is the rest that God provides for us. And so by using imagery, David is not literally saying that God brings him to a physical field and river, but it is the constant presence of the Lord in his life that brings him this rest that he so very desires in his soul. And so this spiritual reality of rest for the soul is carried on as David writes how God restores his life in verse 3. He says this, He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. So when we are weary and sorrowful, we want our souls refreshed. I think we can all agree with that. We always are seeking for some order of refreshment in our souls. We crave a renewal that awakens our hearts and lifts our spirits. So David does not have to search for other things as a means of renewal with God as his shepherd and provider. It is God himself who refreshes his soul by his very presence. Deep renewal is God's work. Deep renewal is God's work. Nothing else can take the place of God providing deep renewal in our lives. Nothing. He's the only one who can truly renew our souls. God's renewal as provider is extended as David is guided along the right paths. And we can learn that renewal of our souls is connected with obedience to the Lord. Renewal of our souls is connected to obedience to the Lord. It is by staying on the path of worship to our shepherd and trust in the Lord that refreshes our life, that we may actually rest trustfully in him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says it perfectly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. It's beautiful. So in verse 4, you know, we've been talking in the first three verses, it's it's a lot of rest, it's a lot of pictures of peace. Well, David takes us in verse 4 to a place of unrest, the darkest valley. Even in some of your Bibles, it may say the valley of the shadow of death. That is intimidating. And it is here that we see God as protector, protecting David by leading him through the darkest valley. So verse 4 says this, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so we're going to put up a picture for you guys, something I found on the internet. Maybe it's hard to see because the sun now, but... There's a lot of chaos going on in this picture. There's a, there's a lot of darkness. You know, you can't specifically, I can't even specifically see what's going on in the background right now, but you can tell that it's pre, it looks pretty scary. It doesn't look very fun. It would probably be something we wouldn't want to go through ourselves. But let's zoom in to the next one. And then we see this. I mean, just look at the lion. And how protective the lion is over this girl. And how at peace this girl is. How she doesn't fear a single thing. A little girl. And it's because she's with the lion of Judah, 
She's with her good shepherd. I hope and pray that this is the reality for us in our walks with Christ. I want to ask you guys this question. Can we rest in the presence of the Lion of Judah before all of our enemies, before every inch of personal darkness in our life? Can we have the same rest that this girl has in this picture where they are just ignoring every inch of darkness in their life? And maybe not even to say ignore. Maybe, maybe they recognize that the darkness is there, but their eyes are set on the shepherd. Their eyes are set on the path that is straight, that leads to eternity with the God who loves us. Food for thought. So even as a believer and follower of Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, David would walk through some pretty dark valleys. For example, David fought and killed Goliath, a giant man. Pretty scary. You know, he also fleed King Saul, who was trying to capture and kill him. That's also pretty scary. He also sinned against Uriah by getting Uriah's wife Bathsheba pregnant and then later killed Uriah. That's some pretty dark stuff. He also suffered through the death of his newborn baby as a result of his own sin. And he improperly handled the ark of God and he did many more things and he walked through many more dark valleys. You know, these were dark circumstances as a result of sin and brokenness. And yet David still was a man after the heart of God. He was still a man after the heart of God. And so for David, these dark valleys could have been a place of suffering, sin, or fear in his life. And we can very much relate to him. You know, this place of darkness is a stark contrast between the place of trustful rest and refreshment that we see in verses 1 through 3. But God has not brought him to a place of darkness to leave him there, but to lead him through it. His shepherd and protector's presence allows him not to fear in the face of danger and sorrow. You know, in the ESV version of Psalm 23, 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This line is especially suggestive when we read this psalm with an eye towards Jesus, the great and good shepherd. We understand that a shadow is not tangible, but it is cast by something that is tangible. So one can rightly say that we face only the shadow of death because Jesus took the reality of death in our place on the cross. So the presence of the Lord, our good shepherd and protector, even in a fearful place like the darkest valley, banished the fear of evil and danger. Let me say that again. He banished the fear of evil and danger. It's banished. David has complete confidence and no fear that the Lord would deliver him, provide liberation, and protect his precious soul. And we see the rod and staff the Lord uses to protect us and comfort us is significant to the rest that we receive in the Lord. The rod and staff were instruments used by a shepherd, and the ideas of a sturdy walking stick used to gently guide the sheep and protect them from potential predators. So the rod and staff were the shepherd's weapon and implement, the former for defense and the latter for control, since discipline is security. And what I mean by that is that a shepherd would use their staff to intimidate and attack predators towards the sheep, and also to curl around the sheep's neck to pull them back, to discipline them and keep them near the flock inside the confound of the field. And so the Lord's staff, it comforted David, and it should comfort us. It helped him, even in the darkest valley, to know that God guided him, even through correction. It is a great comfort to know that God will correct us when we need it. That's a great comfort. And so... By God's kindness, he will guide David through all his places of darkness. Through God's kindness, he will guide all of us through all of our personal darknesses, through all of our dark valleys. He is faithful. So just like God continued to bring liberation out of darkness for the Israelites, he will do the same for David, and he will do the same for us. And because of the great shepherd, the Lord our protector, there is protection even in darkness. And this is why we can rest trustfully in the Lord. So David then transitions from shepherd imagery to describe a place of provision again in verse 5, continuing this idea that the Lord is our provider. It says this, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So without departing from the previous picture of the darkest valley, David envisioned the provision and goodness given by the Lord as a host. So this time, God has led him to God's table. You know, in the Old Testament, being invited to eat and drink at someone's table meant a relationship of loyalty. And we can even say a covenantal relationship. You know, this intimate relationship is furthered as God anoints David's head with oil. So God pouring out oil over David, it communicates his welcoming David into his presence. David also says that his cup overflows with abundance from the presence of the Lord. So God's constant outpouring over David's life causes him to be satisfied. So as provider, God is constantly filling our cup and making it overflow. He makes our cup overflow. Like that's, that's the abundance that God wants for us in our life. He wants us to live a life worthy of the gospel and to walk in step with his will because it is abundant. He cares for us that much. He's that generous for our lives. He makes our lives so complete that our lives overflow. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. It's awesome. And the fact that this is all happening in the presence of David's enemies is just completely absurd. It's absurd to me. Sometimes I, I still don't understand it. But like the goodness, provision, and care suggested by the Lord preparing a table, it's set in the midst of the presence of David's enemies. Okay, so what does this communicate? So the Lord's care and concern, it doesn't eliminate the presence of David's enemies. It doesn't eliminate our enemies but it enables the experience of God's goodness and bounty, even in their midst, that we're able to actually sit down at a table with the Lord in the presence of our enemies and be at perfect peace. Here's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, pretty popular guy. When a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal, and away he hastens to the fight. But observe, Thou preparest a table, that's what the word says, just as a servant does when she unfolds the damask cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table. And the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. With the Lord as our shepherd, provider, and protector, we have perfect peace. We have it. It's there. It's available. It's in our reach. We can rest trustfully in the Lord. So I want to ask us a question. Can we rest trustfully in the Lord in perfect peace, even in the midst of our personal enemies, even in the midst of sexual temptation, even in the midst of bitterness towards another person, even in the midst of our personal anxiety, even in the midst of being overwhelmed with school or maybe even our families or maybe even just, just anything that takes your eyes off the Lord, can we set our eyes back on him and receive the perfect peace that we have in Christ? Can we rest trustfully in the Lord and perfect peace even in the midst of our personal enemies? The answer to that is yes, we can. We can. So let's look into verse 6. It says this, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Okay, for me personally, I have memorized this verse, and I use this in my prayer life all the time. It is so awesome. I mean, I mean, you, when, when we pray this to God, we are communicating everything that it says, and we're communicating who God is and his faithfulness. And so we can rest trustfully in the Lord because he is our promise keeper. He is our promise keeper. The Lord is our promise keeper. So why, why do I say this? Because the word only here, only goodness and faithful love, it makes a statement of exclusivity. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue David all the days of his life. You know, this goodness and faithful love, it describes the covenantal love of God for us. We're promised, we're promised 
the pursuit of God's goodness and faithful love all the days of our life. We're promised that. Not even are David's enemies pursuing him at this point of perfect peace in his relationship with God. But rather, what is pursuing him is the goodness and faithful love of God. Like, that is so cool. That is so cool. He, he's saying that, yes, even though my enemies may, may personally still exist and may personally still be trying to pursue me, what's actually pursuing me is the goodness and faithful love of the Lord. That is a promise. David cannot escape God's steadfast love. We cannot escape God's steadfast love. This is the reality. No longer are we tied down to the association of our sin, shame, and vices. But rather we are tied to the goodness and faithful love of the Lord who saved us through Jesus Christ and called us his own. That is the reality. The Lord is the promise keeper who assures us that his goodness and faithful love will pursue us all the days of our life. And lastly, David finds rest in the house of the Lord. In a sense, David has been on a journey that starts and ends at the house of the Lord. It's kind of like what we're talking about sometimes when we're sharing the gospel and we're in that already but not yet stage. You know, yes, Jesus has come and he's brought the kingdom, but the kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. And so David is confident that he will dwell in the house of the Lord, that eternity has started now and that he can look forward to it too. So in Christ, we can have faithful expectations for his goodness and faithful love and that our home, our place of eternal dwelling, our place of eternal rest is with God forever. That our heart truly is with him. So Psalm 23 is rich with imagery that describes what believers possess because of God. It's rich with imagery. And so as God was for David, the Lord is our shepherd who is leading each of us to a place of trustful rest. In John 10, 14, Jesus designates himself as the good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So for those who believe in Jesus, he leads us to God's rest. We are all on a pilgrimage that starts and ends with eternal rest because of Christ. But our good shepherd Jesus is the only one who can lead us there. So we can have peace each day knowing that Christ is protecting us and providing for our needs. So in every situation, we can be content knowing that in Christ, we have all we need. We can declare to God every single day, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. I shall not want. My life is complete. We can rest trustfully in the hands of our good shepherd, provider, protector, and promise keeper. So I want to remind you all today that rest is not just imagery from what we've been reading today in Psalm 23. It's not just imagery. It's reality. Rest is reality. I'm sure maybe even some, like rest has been a pilgrimage for me. Like I've been learning so much about rest for the past eight months and it's been hard. I, I, I still don't know everything about rest. But God wants me to receive from him and he wants to teach me about the reality that there is in the perfect peace that we have in Christ. Let's look into the life of David and one of his personal experiences where he could rest trustfully in the Lord. And I'm gonna try my best to parallel this passage of Psalm 23 to uh, the real life experience of David in 2 Samuel pertaining rest. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to 2 Samuel chapter seven. We're gonna go quickly through this passage, but I'll also have it up on the screen. We're going to look into the first three verses of chapter 7. So before this, in chapter 6, David had just moved the ark of God. It was a hard task itself and is now about to be affirmed by the Lord of his covenant that he had made with David. So verse 1, <clears throat> when the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. Okay, so I wanna make a cool connection for you guys. This is actually a fulfilled prophecy from Deuteronomy 12, verse 10. 
I want to read it for you guys. It says, When you cross from the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all the enemies around you, and you live in security, dot, dot, dot. It, it continues, but I just think this is so cool because God has been desiring to fulfill his obligation to give them rest. Like he, he has assured them that he will give them rest by his word, by his promises. And he's done that here in this passage in 2 Samuel. It's almost word for word. It's so cool. And so God has kept his promise to Israel and they have rest all around them. So like in Psalm 23, David is reminded of the Lord's goodness and faithful love that he will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as he lives. He is resting trustfully in the Lord as his shepherd, provider, protector, and promise keeper right here in this very instance. And so the Lord has provided for David green pastures. He's provided for him quiet waters, a place to rest trustfully in the Lord in complete peace and security where he can look only to God and he can hear only God's voice. The Lord is letting him in and make, letting, letting him and making him lie down in some green pastures as he is also leading him beside some quiet waters. It's really cool. And up to this point, David has gone through many dark valleys like we talked about earlier. And some would even say his darkest valley was fleeing King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him. But the Lord giving David rest on every side from all his enemies communicates that the Lord was with him. Just like it communicates in Psalm 23, the Lord was with him. I fear no danger. David no longer has, has to fear danger. He no longer has to fear danger because God was with him and is with him through the darkest valley. The rod and staff of the good shepherd has protected him, allowing him to rest trustfully in the Lord. And sitting on his personal throne of kingship, David is struck by the fact that he has a place to dwell. He's built himself a house of cedar, but God does not. The Israelites have continued to carry the Ark of Covenant with them and set up the tabernacle, but to David, that's, that's not enough. That's not enough to David. God hasn't even commanded them to build him a temple or a house, a permanent place. But David is saying that God deserves to reign in a temple, not a tent. David also is yearning for the same presence of the Lord, the Lord who gave him rest and assurance of eternal rest. So let's continue. Let's look into the what, how, how the Lord responds to what David wants to do for God. He wants to build him a temple. So 2 Samuel 7, 4 through 7 says this. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a, cedar, a house of cedar? So the Lord is just communicating here, like he, he's not even asked them to do this. He's not even asked David to do this. The Lord's response with, are you to build me a house to dwell in? It's as if God is responding with a tone of like good shock and happiness, happy surprise. He's, he's like surprised. So in our words, it's as if God is saying, you want to build me a house? Like, gosh, I'm so honored. You want to build me a house? Like me? David, you want to do that for me? God was so honored that David would want to do such a thing for him. And this has nothing to do with Psalm 23 right now. This is just the word of the Lord. Like this is awesome. That, that God is so honored that David would even consider just building God a house. So I think this response from God shows us even more why we should rest trustfully in the Lord. This proves that, that God is so giddy when we pray to him, when we worship him, when we obey his commands, when we simply just love him and follow him with our lives. God is giddy. David, by simply just wanting to build God a house, a temple, communicates his thoughts that God is worthy. And because David thinks that God is worthy, God is jumping out of his seat with joy, with the utmost excitement that his son David, his child, wants to do something for him. Just imagine how God feels when we just consider him throughout our day. Just imagine how he feels when we actually pray 
Imagine how God feels when we worship him because of this passage. God is giddy about you. Like, I just want you guys to get that through your mind and in your heart that God is giddy about you. He loves you that much. That is a fact of life. So let's look at more of God's response together and how this parallels resting trustfully in the Lord through the lens of Psalm 23. It says, so now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered the judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Okay, that's a lot. Let's, let's just simply break it down. Like what, how does this parallel to Psalm 23? Okay, so in verses 8 and 9, God is reminding David of what he has done for him. God took David from pasture to pasture, letting him lie down in green pastures, leading him beside quiet waters. God has been with him through the darkest valley, protecting him and providing for him. And God has destroyed all of his enemies, paralleling to preparing a table for David before all of his enemies. God has promised to make David's name great by anointing him with oil, and now his cup overflows. David is at peace in restful trust, and the Lord is his shepherd, provider, protector, and promise keeper. And after God has reminded David of all he's done for him, he responds to David's wanting to build him a temple by saying something like this. You want to build me a house? I want to build you a kingdom, an everlasting one. God received David's intentions to build him a house as a gift. David gave God a gift. And like a father impressed that his son wants to do something big for him, but, ju- but, but can't just yet, the father is still so proud. Like we get to see who God is in this passage and why we should rest trustfully in him. He's a proud father. And at this point in history, the covenant God made with Abraham has partially been fulfilled. I know we've been, we've been talking a lot about that in our Genesis series, which is great because we've been learning so much. So the Israelites, they have been made into a great nation through Abraham's offsprings, offspring Isaac, and we'll get to read about him next semester a little bit. But there is more of the covenant to be fulfilled. The offspring from Abraham's line, spoken about in Genesis 3, has yet to come, and through David's line, God will bring him. So to confirm this with David, God makes a covenant with him. God first promises to make a great name for David in verse 9. He also promises the security of his people in verse 10. Israel will continue to have the rest given to them now due to removing armies and evildoers. In verse 12, God promises to build a dynasty from David. And after David dies, God will use his offspring to create the physical temple that David seeks to build for God. And God will make a throne from which his offspring will rule. That's what's going to happen. So the great nation that God has promised Abraham has turned into a glorious kingdom. And David's offspring would be Solomon. We'd find out his son would be Solomon. And King Solomon would go on to, to be king and build the physical temple for God. But through David, God is not just bringing an earthly kingdom, but a greater heavenly one established through the Messiah himself. Jesus Christ, who would bring the kingdom of God with him to earth to die on the behalf of the sin of the entire world, you and me, and three days later, rise from the dead, defeating death and establishing his kingship over everyone forever. Jesus is king. This is why we can sit at the table of the Lord 
that he's prepared for us before our very enemies. This is why we can with confidence rest trustfully in the Lord as we dwell in the house of God as long as we live all the days of our life. So to conclude, I want to encourage you on how we can rest trustfully in the Lord. I've I've talked a lot about why. It's because of who God is, but I wanna talk a little bit about how. How can we rest trustfully in the Lord with what we've learned today? Well, I'm gonna keep it simple too. Psalm 116. I learned this while we were at staff conference and it just knocked my socks off. So Psalm 116, 12 through 13. The psalmist says, how can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? And in verse 13, he says, I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So what we tend to do when we're seeking after rest is, is find rest in other things. Like maybe idols, maybe relationship. And like relationships are good, but sometimes we find our rest in our relationship rather than God. Maybe we tend to find ourselves uh, resting in our schoolwork. That seems ridiculous, but sometimes it happens, you know. Like we sometimes find rest in idols. Sometimes we rely on our own strength to rest. And that, I can speak on behalf of myself, that it, that it fails. You, you can't do it can't rest on your own strength. Sometimes you want to do, 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 expecting reward. You want to like do so much and you expect reward of rest. You know, sometimes we tend to forget about the Sabbath rest that God has prepared for us. But how does the psalmist respond to his own question of repaying the Lord for all he has done for him and us? The gratitude for the Lord drove the psalmist to receive from God. That's how we can repay God for all that he has done for us. Receive from him. Before we can do anything for him, we begin by gratefully receiving from God. Sometimes that just doesn't make sense. It, it, like sometimes it just doesn't make sense for me now. But... God is that generous to give us good things. And he wants to gift us rest. And he wants for us as his children to actually receive it. You know, sometimes when I'm doing evangelism, I'll always talk about, hey, like, just imagine a Lamborghini pulls up and the guy gets out of the car and with some keys and it's like, are you, are you gonna take the keys? He, want, he wants to give them to you. Well, like, oh, duh, of course I'm gonna take the keys. It's a Lamborghini. But... Some people don't. Like, maybe that's hard for them. There's, a, there's also a cost. But what the Lord wants us to do is trust restfully in him. Rest trustfully in him and actually just receive from him. The psalmist says, I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So the Lord simply wants us to repay him by taking from him the gift of eternal rest eternal mercy, eternal grace, eternal salvation, and eternal, unconditional, immeasurable love. He is that generous to you, and he adores you that much. So please, receive the rest that God wants for you. Receive from him, and rest trustfully in the Lord, our shepherd, provider, protector, and promise keeper. Band, you can come up right now. Um, I felt convicted to share this with you and just like call you guys to do something today. Um, so we don't have a, a prayer banner up today, but there's gonna be people praying around the room. So something really awesome that happened at Winter Retreat was on the first night on Friday, we talked a lot about surrender and how the enemy wants to grab onto your life, even if it's a centimeter or an inch or whatever. If the enemy has a grip on any part of your life, He wants to rob you of the abundance that Christ has for you. Like God wants you to live an abundant life for him and with him. And the enemy wants to rob every inch of that. And so I want to call you guys as we're worshiping. If you have any unrest in your bodies, if you have any unrest in your mind, any unrest in your soul, any unrest in your heart, that you would surrender that, that you would seek healing that you would go get prayer. I mean, even for myself, I have so much unrest 
in, in my soul, in my, in my body, and I, I just need prayer. And so I wanna call you guys to like take that step of faith. Rest trustfully in the Lord. Go get prayer. Surrender everything that is not of God and receive healing. Because God wants to do something in you today. God wants to heal you and God wants you to receive his rest. God wants you to receive his rest. And God wants you to walk in the abundant life that he has given you now. I'm gonna pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are good. God, thank you so much that you love us, that you wanna give us good things, that you're a generous father, that you want us to receive rest as your children. And God, I just pray over every individual in this room, over all of us, over our church, that we would receive the rest that you have for us, that we would rest trustfully in you, our God, as our shepherd, our provider, our protector, and promise keeper. God, you are worthy of all of our praise. God, I pray that we would offer our lives to you as a living sacrifice. I pray that we would surrender all the unrest in our lives. God, may we come to you boldly because of who you are. We can rest because of who you are. We can rest because of who you are, Jesus, and you are awesome and so good. So thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we are righteous before you because of our belief in Jesus. Thank you that you have made our lives complete. Thank you that you are our shepherd. Thank you that you will lead us through the darkest valley. Thank you that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ, you who lives in me. So Lord, the work that you have started in us, may you bring it into completion. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your awesome name. Amen.